Well, take your Bibles tonight and turn with me to Revelation chapter 19. And uh, I can't believe that we have made our way through the book of Revelation. I hope it's been a blessing to you. And um, I've been encouraged by it. I almost want to preach it again. I feel like I just started here, you know. <laughs> I feel like I want to preach it again. There's so many, so many good things. And I mentioned this morning we'll be in Revelation 19 tonight and the marriage supper of the Lamb. And uh, I'm thankful tonight that uh, we had a marriage ceremony on Friday, so it's very fitting. Uh, Anthony Necca uh, got everything all settled there, and we thank the Lord for that. They've been very patient, waiting through all this pandemic to do it, and a little nervous when the, when the uh, state kind of put things backwards on in-person services, and I said, no, we're still going to have it. The state just said we can't do it indoor, we have to do it outdoor. Beautiful setting, beautiful wedding. And, uh, I, you know, one of my favorite things I love doing in the ministry is, is, is getting couples married. That's a wonderful thing. And seeing them build their homes for Christ. And our church has seen quite a few numbers of marriages here, and we thank the Lord for that. And I thank God that the majority of our marriages are doing very, very well. They're, they're just going off for Christ and living for the Lord. And we're going to look at a beautiful, beautiful marriage ceremony tonight. We're going to look at it from a Jewish perspective and uh, a little bit of teaching, but a little bit of preaching and a a little bit of excitement and fervor there. We're going to look at that tonight. Revelation 19, from at home, and those here with me tonight in the uh, Heritage Center, we're going to read aloud. And uh, I want you to read aloud because these are great verses. These are great verses that take us to a spirit of worship there. Revelation 19, and we're going to read verses 1 to 10. Verses 1 to 10. Now remember, we just came out of God's judgment on Babylon. And it was pretty brutal, amen, you know, Revelation 17, 18, pretty brutal there. And uh, so God had to get our eyes off the judgment and get our eyes on, 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 on the beauty, the, 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 uh, the, this marriage supper of the Lamb. So he said this, and after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he has judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and has avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Hallelujah. And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshiped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen. Hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him both small and great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and, the voice, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice, give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Father, thank you this evening for this marriage in heaven. What a beautiful picture that the bride of Christ right now, your church, should be looking forward to with great anticipation. Every bride, more than anybody else, counts down, counts down the days to when she's wedded to her husband and two become one. But I think, Lord, as I read this, it's not only the bride that should be counting down, it's the Lord Jesus Christ who's counting down those days. Of a church that he died and gave himself for. Before I preach tonight, forgive us, Lord, for making light and getting used to the shed blood and the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Had we been there at Calvary on that day, I don't think we'd ever be the same. And tonight, I know I'm not preaching about the cross, though I might say some things there about that. But we are talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And for just a few moments tonight, I pray that you would encourage our hearts. I want to thank you today. We have uh, our men, probably about a dozen of our men, who for these last several weeks have put in a lot of hours of preparation, fine-tuning. They get here early to prepare, get the church ready. And then as soon as we're done, they bring everything back. Thank you for our men. We love you and love your church. To serve you in that way. Happy about it, excited, fervent. And tonight, Lord, I... Just pray you encourage our hearts. There are hundreds watching by live stream tonight. I pray that you sanctify every room where there's an electronic device on watching the service. Living rooms, dining rooms, dens, offices, maybe perhaps bedrooms maybe kitchen tables, wherever it may be. Sanctify that area. Captivate our thoughts. Bring every, bring every thought, bring every mind captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. I pray for enablement, the fullness of the Spirit tonight, something I don't have, something I don't deserve, but something I need very desperately right now for the sake of your people. Thank you for tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, leading to tonight's passage, we have spent several weeks on the last 
three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. The last three and a half years of the Tribulation period, from what the Bible gives us, are, are really a heavy, heavy time of judgment upon the world. The Antichrist, the beast, we don't know his name, breaks his covenant with Israel. Remember, in the first three and a half years, he establishes a peace covenant. And with that peace covenant, he gets a, a temple established for, it, for them. But right now, there's a, a mosque. He breaks his covenant at the three and a half year mark. Israel is attacked, brutally attacked. Revelation 12 tells us that there's some scattering, and many of the Jews go into hiding. The martyrdom of the Jews is pretty intense. The blood flows through the street. The beast, who's energized by Satan, is at the pinnacle of his reign. He is truly the one world leader that the world's been looking for. He has a sidekick, as I can call him, called the false prophet. And the false prophet, through his mystical acts and his things that he does, is propelling people to worship the beast. And through the false prophet, he's in, he's, he's in getting people to get the mark of the beast on their forehead or the right hand. As we're going through that, the beast is killed. He's assassinated. Or so we think he's assassinated. And he rises up. He mimics the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, as you can imagine with technology, this is seen around the world. They see his dead body get up. During that time, the seven trumpet, the seven trumpet judgments are sounded. The seven bold judgments are, are, are released. And uh, those who've received the mark of the beast are afflicted. The, um, the world is going through catechismic chaos. There's, there's, global, there's global climate change, scorching of the earth. I mean, it's bad. I mean, it's bad. The waters are turned upside down. I mean, there's famine. All drinking water sources are poisoned by, by like, like, with, with uh, this, this uh, in a bad way. And the 144,000 Jews that are evangelists who've led many to Christ around the world, the persecution around the world is the blood is flowing up to the horse's bridle, the Bible says. In chapter 17 18, the world, as John talks about, and as Jesus talks about, is called. Mystery Babylon. Mystery Babylon is the guise or the name representing a one-world government, one-world religion, a one-world economy. We spent some time talking about that last week. God has brought all that down and destroyed it. The beast has turned on the one-world religion and on the government. He wants all the focus on him. And... As we look at chapter 18, verse 23, if you'll look there for just a minute. You have to remember there's persecution. The world is a mess. And he says about economic Babylon, the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee. And the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth, 
for by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. Now, I don't know about you, but when you look at calamities and darkness for a long period of time, it, it can be pretty discouraging. It's kind of like walking through a hospital and seeing death every day and seeing people suffer. You know, you can go through children's hospital and go through some of those wards that they'll allow you to walk through and just look through the glass and see these precious children going through very trying circumstances. First time you see it, it moves you. Second time you see it, it moves you. But if you see it every day, you just kind of get used to it. And the Lord knew that everything he gave us in chapter 17 and 18 is pretty heavy, so he gets our, our eyes off that. And he says in chapter 19, verse 1, after these things. And he takes us to a passage of Scripture we fondly call the marriage supper of the Lamb. The marriages are wonderful. Marriages are greatly celebrated, greatly celebrated events everywhere in the world. Even if you're not part of the marriage, just seeing a marriage ceremony somewhere, there's something about it that draws your attention. You could be on vacation, you could be traveling, you could be on a missions trip, whatever you see a wedding, you just kind of stop and pause. There's just something about a wedding that gets your attention there. And God says something about that. He said, marriage is honorable in all. Marriage is the design of God for companionship and procreation. Marriage is fittingly the picture of the relationship of Jesus Christ to his church. So our attention tonight, as we look at chapter 19, verses 1 to 10, is on the Lord Jesus Christ, his bride, and in heaven. I think it kind of helps us understand what we briefly saw this morning in Isaiah 33, verse 17. Thine eyes shall see the king in his beauty, and they shall see, they shall behold the land that is very far off. Tonight, let us see the marriage made in heaven. Number one, I want you to notice verses one to six. Number one, let's notice the happy celebration. The happy celebration. Babylon has been judged. The Bible tells us that. John's attention now is upwards in heaven. He said, I heard not the voice of an angel, not the voice of a mighty one. That comes later. He said, I heard the voice, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven. When we started these drive-in services, we were a little bit concerned about honking horns. We were a little concerned about bothering our neighbors. I'll be honest with you, I don't care about bothering neighbors. Amen? They need to hear the voice of a great people. Now, granted, a honking of a horn is not the grace of much people, but it's the second best thing to that. Amen? And he said, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven. Now, God's, God, John's attention was to heaven. And um, four times in verses 1 to 6, the word hallelujah is mentioned. Now, hallelujah is a great Bible word. In fact, I want you to notice in verses 1 to 6, there's, there's three phrases that are used that are great Bible phrases. Hallelujah, amen, and praise God, amen? Those are great Bible terms. And you should not be ashamed of those terms. And you should not be afraid of those terms. And that should be in your vocabulary. And you should say that. You know, more than saying that's great, you should say, praise God. I, you know, I got, I got, I got uh, wind of some things this morning, this afternoon, that encouraged my heart. Uh, I just found out from one of our church members that we had a, uh, a meeting on Friday night. We had a Zoom meeting on Friday night, a Bible study. I said, do you have any prayer requests? We ended it up, and one of our ladies said, yes, Pastor, uh, we, we want you to pray for a couple people we know that we're going to get the gospel to. And this sister in Christ led both ladies to Christ. Amen. Amen. 
And then another lady shared with me today, she said, Pastor, I asked that you pray. And the Bible study prayed for two ladies in Guatemala. And she sent a picture. She, she was able to get on there. I'm not sure if it's FaceTime or Zoom or whatever. But she got the gospel to them. And two ladies in Guatemala got saved this afternoon. Praise God for that. Amen. I mean, just, you know, hallelujah and praise the Lord and praise God and amen. There's Bible terminology. Now, hallelujah is, 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 is one word. It's actually two words that, that express something. Hallel, which means praise, and Yah, which means Lord. It basically means praise the Lord. That's what hallelujah means. It means praise the Lord. One of my, my friends in the ministry that I love being around because he's a praise the Lord believer is a man by the name of Edgar Fogali. How many remember Brother Edgar Fogali? He was with us earlier this year. You know, you get around Brother Fogali, you're talking about people getting saved, you're talking about uh, preachers getting trained in Egypt. You talk about something great about the Lord. You know what he always says? Praise the Lord. Every time you're around Brother Edgar Fogali, it's praise the Lord. It's just all the time, praise the Lord. I love that, of being around that man. He's just always about praising the Lord. And so tonight, we notice that we start off with a happy celebration. Now notice these hallelujahs, if you would, beginning in verse 1. First of all, we see the hallelujah of redemption. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, hallelujah. And notice this, as, because the Holy Spirit doesn't haphazardly position the words, he correctly places the words so we can understand the context there. He says, hallelujah, salvation, and notice, and glory, and honor, and power unto the Lord our God. He's saying the hallelujah of redemption. Because when you get saved, it's glorious, amen? And when you get saved, honor goes to God because not of works, lest any man should boast. Amen? And it's power. We're saved by the power of God unto salvation. And so the first hallelujah is the voice, great voice of much people in heaven. What kind of people are in heaven? Saved people in heaven. Amen? There are no unsaved people in heaven. It's saved people in heaven. So everyone in heaven, they're praising the Lord. Now, I just learned something tonight. Don't be offended by this. If you don't get excited about, about being saved, I would ask this evening what's going on in your heart. You ought to be excited about, getting, about being saved, amen? You ought to be excited. It should never grow old on you. You should always get excited. It never grows old on you about having, about having received Jesus Christ, your Savior. And you ought to examine yourself tonight, whether you be in the faith, the Apostle Paul said. Because if you're not excited about being saved, if, if people getting saved and trusting Christ doesn't excite you, don't use the excuse that you're an accountant, you're an engineer, you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, or whatever you may be. Don't use that ex as excuse. The real issue is, are you saved? Are you born again? Are you truly saved? And I'm going to tell you tonight, if you're not saved, you're going to miss out of Jesus. Jesus Christ comes tonight, you're going to miss heaven by 18 inches because between your heart and your head, you didn't get saved. You didn't trust Jesus Christ as Savior. You may have had an assent, but did you accept? You may, have, you may have prayed a prayer, but was there repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ? Hallelujah. It's the song of the redeemed. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child and forever I am. Redeemed and so happy in Jesus. In so language my rapture can tell. I know that the light of his presence with me doth continually dwell. Hey, listen, you walking around like you squeeze, you squeeze down, you swallow down an entire lemon tree, and you're so soured and all puckered up that you can't, nothing makes you happy. I want to tell you tonight, you need to get saved then. You need to get Jesus in your heart, rejoice about your salvation. You don't have to be a theological giant to rejoice about being saved, and you don't have to be a Bible college graduate or a theologian of any kind 
to rejoice. You're saved. You just need to know tonight that you're saved and you're redeemed. And thank God tonight that you're saved. Redeemed. Redeemed. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed. Redeemed. This child and forever I am. Hey, how many of you know the story about old Billy Bray? Old Billy Bray was a Cornish miner. Cornwall, England. An uneducated man. We got around the wrong crowd as a young man. Got around drinking and drugging and stuff like that. He didn't know better. He wasn't saved. By the way, some of you are saved. You want to experiment with the world? Get out of it. Stop experimenting with the world. I kind of wonder what a drink is all about. And let me tell you what. Why don't you drink more of Jesus and you'll be so satisfied with Jesus you won't be worried about alcoholic drinking. Amen? You say, well, I want to I wanna, I wanna get a puff. I want to I wanna get. I want to smell the smoke of the marijuana. Well, the Bible tells me here that the smoke of her judgment rises up forever and ever. And I'm going to tell you tonight, get out of the world. Come out from among them, be separate, saith the Lord. No, Billy Bray got saved. He was a Cornish miner, and men that worked in those mines, they were rough stuff. They were like longshoremen. Man, they were rough stuff. They cursed and swore. They did dirty things. I mean, if you were a father and had a daughter, you wouldn't want your daughter around a Cornish miner. Billy, old Billy Bray got saved, and somebody said, man, you're nuts. He said, why? He said, every time we see you, you're always excited. You're always happy. He was called God's happy man, God's glad man, and he'd walk around rejoicing. He would just stop somewhere, and he'd have an ecliptic fit sometimes because he got all excited about being saved. Now, he didn't know much about, about the Bible, but he knew enough about the Bible. He knew the Bible was all about Jesus Christ. They said, Billy Bray, how could you be so excited about me? He said, I don't know how to explain it, but I'll tell you this. Every time I raise up my right foot, and I put my right foot down, it says amen, and every time I pick up my left foot, put my left foot down, it says hallelujah. He says, wherever I go, I pick up my right foot. It says amen. Pick up my left foot. It says hallelujah. That's the way the Christian life should be. You ought to pick up your right foot and say amen, and your left foot and say hallelujah. I'm saying tonight, there's the hallelujah of the redeemed. In heaven, we'll say hallelujah, salvation, glory, and honor, power belong unto the Lord our God. Remember when you got saved? Man, December 4th, 1971, I remember when I got saved. I remember what kind of a jerk I was to that Sunday school teacher. You think you had some hard nuts you've dealt with? They should have locked me up in jail for some of the things I asked him. I don't know how to describe it to you. That man had come out of, he had spent one year at Tennessee Temple Bible College in 1970. That was back in the day. We were going through revival times during those days. Dr. Lee Robertson was at the pinnacle of his ministry there. Tennessee Temple Schools, which was a ministry of Highland Park Baptist Church, sent thousands of missionaries around the world. That man came out of Bible college with a fire in his heart. The preacher told him, looked at the visitor's cards, he said, hey, this, this ninth grader, you need to go visit him. I just hung up the phone and told the man, the young man that was my friend that invited me to church. I was so under conviction, I said, I don't want to go back. I didn't want to go back. I just hung up the phone. I mean, I just hung up the phone. That's back in the old rotary dial days, amen, you know? That would date some of us here, amen. Doorbell rings. I went from our family room downstairs, which went to the backyard. And I went upstairs. There's a Sunday school teacher. Saturday night, 8 o'clock. I'm glad he had a pit bull attitude, amen? 
He answered every question I asked from the I asked. He answered every question from the Word of God. He was on fire back then. His theology was where it should have been. And finally, he said, "Alan, now I've answered every question you've asked me. I never, I'll never forget this. You didn't answer my question." Well, two hours into it, I forgot what the question was. I mean, if you're real honest, I said, what was the question? He said, he said, don't mess with me. Now, just to tell you, Brother AJ, this guy was a fourth-degree black belt, too. Shotokan karate. Mean stuff. His teacher was world-renowned. I knew that from the students, so I said, I better not mess this guy here, you know. I was being like a punk, to be honest with you. I mean, the questions I asked, well, how do you know hell's real? What about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? I was just being a fool. The fool has said in his heart, there's no God. He said, you haven't answered my question. Don't mess with me. He said, don't mess with me. He said, if you died right now, it almost felt like he was going to knock me out right at that moment when he said that. If you died right now, you know, he said, where are you going to go? Brother Justin, I don't know how to tell you this, but the Holy Spirit met with me on your yes couch at that moment. Brother Irwin, I started shaking, man. I never shared this. I started shaking. He asked that question, where are you going to go? I dropped my head. I said, I think I'm probably going to go to hell. Because you showed me from the Bible being 80% sure. And that's what I told him. I'm 80% sure. Me being 80% sure is not good enough. And he's the one that asked me. He said, now if you get saved tonight, what's the worst thing that could happen to you? That just changed my whole thinking. What's the worst thing that could happen to me? I said, nothing. I'm going to heaven. Amen. And I thank God at 10 o'clock, 10.30 night, December 4th, 1971, a Saturday night, I'm thankful I got Jesus Christ in my life. Listen, there's the hallelujah of redemption. Secondly, notice the hallelujah of righteousness. Now, look at verse 2. For true and righteous are his judgments. Now, understand this tonight. The judgments of God are predicated upon the righteousness of God. God must judge unrighteousness because he is righteous. That's his character. That's his essence. That's who he is. He can't. God is not going to change for you and me. He can't. God cannot lie and God cannot sin. For true and righteous are his judgments. And I'm thankful John, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote that there because you would tend to believe if you're alliterating, you would say something like this, the hallelujah of retaliation or the hallelujah of retribution. No, it's the hallelujah of righteousness. For he is judged. How did he judge the great whore, Babylon? By righteousness. By fairness. By justice. For he has judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication. And has avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. Listen to this. Revelation 18.20. Previous to that he said this. Rejoice over her. That is Babylon. Rejoice over her, thou heaven... And ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. Now God, they had prayed 
the, the, those who had suffered, remember we read about that, I think, in Revelation 7? Under the blood of the altar, they were crying out, Lord, how long will you avenge us? And uh, God's done that. These are the believers during the tribulation time who are crying that out. And in heaven, there's a rejoicing because we say true and righteous are the judgments of God. Now listen, Psalms 96, verse 10. Say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth. The world also shall be established and it shall not be moved. Listen to this. He shall judge the people righteously. Listen to this, Revelation 16, 7. And I heard another voice out of the altar. Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. God's judgment upon Babylon, the government, the one world religion, the, the economy is all according to truth and righteousness. And here, you know, when we look at this, we should, we should praise the Lord. I'm going to give you some for tomorrow morning when you have devotions. Praise the Lord, honor him because he's righteous. He's Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. There's the hallelujah of righteousness. Notice in verse 5, there's the hallelujah of reverence. Now again, we see the 24 elders and the beasts. We saw them, they were introduced to us in chapter 4. And the four and twenty elders, which represents the redeemed of all the ages. The four and twenty elders and the four beasts. Notice this here. Would you notice this? They fell down and worshiped God that sat on the throne. And they said, Amen. Hallelujah. Now a couple things about that. First of all, worship of God, we see right here, it's the, it's, it's the giving of, refer, of reverence. They fell down and they worshiped God. I mean, there's something about that where we ought to just drop our, drop our knee. In fact, let me just say this. You ought to bend your knee to God. Amen. You ought to bend your knee to God. His name is mentioned. Fall down and worship him. When we pray, fall down and worship him. Everywhere we see the redeemed of all the ages in heaven and the four beasts, which represents God's wonderful creation, they're worshiping him. Listen to Revelation 4.10. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever. Revelation 5.14. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshiped him that liveth forever and ever. And um, Revelation 7.11. And all the angels stood around about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God. Now, here's something Interesting. As we get to these four elders, this, this hallelujah of reverence is something interesting. Preceding the word hallelujah is the word amen. Now, amen is a good Bible word. Amen, was a, it, amen is a word in the Bible that precedes a statement. We find it all throughout the Gospel of John whenever he says verily, verily. It's the same word for amen. Verily, verily, or truthfully, truthfully. May I say to you truthfully that this is true, that what I'm going to tell you is correct and true, it's accurate. And then we'll see it at the end of a statement, which means so be it. So be what was said. It is giving, it is giving acknowledgement to what is said is true. It is giving acknowledgement to what is said is from God. It's giving acknowledgement that, it, that it's God who's saying it. There's authority behind it. Listen, there is something about saying amen that identifies us with the word of God. There's something about saying amen that identifies us with the work of God. There's something about saying amen that identifies us with doctrine, that identifies us with missions, that identifies us with revival, that identifies with the campaign. You say, well, that's just unique to Baptists. No, Baptists were the ones who coined it because it came out of the Bible. Let me tell you tonight, you ought to be an amen Christian. You ought to be an hallelujah Christian. You ought to thank God. You ought not to be ashamed because your friends don't say amen. Listen, you want to resurrect the dead? Just say amen a little bit louder there. Amen? 
Now when we get back to in-person service, don't you come back here like you're in a mortuary expecting something dead to come up. Listen, only dead things are in mortuaries. In a church, we're the church of the living God. And if it's the living God, we ought to say amen every time we come to church. Some of you daddies ought to say amen before your children to get, get the amen spirit in your kids there. Little Evie's about two years old, over two years old. Listen, she gets around grand, grandpa, she gets around going, going, gets amen all the time. Amen? She's hearing amen all the time. Now, she might be praying with us and peek a little bit there. She'll open one eye like this and peek at me there like that. But she says, amen, at the end of things, amen. Don't come back to church. We have in-person service, dead as the doornail. Come back with an amen spirit inside of you, amen. So be it, Lord. Verily, verily, Lord. Amen. It's a hallelujah of redemption, a hallelujah of reverence, a hallelujah of righteousness. Notice this, verse 6. Notice the hallelujah that the Lord reigns. I said the Lord reigns, amen? I don't care what the movement is. I don't care who the politician is. I don't care if it's a stimulus act. I don't care what it is. Jesus reigns. It doesn't change that. It doesn't change anything about Jesus here. Look, look at this, he said. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude. Now notice this. It started the grace, the voice of much people. And now he says, the voice of a great multitude. As the voice of many waters. Now think with me about, if you've been to Niagara Falls, the crashing of the, of the, the thundering of those falls. Or the voice of mighty thunderings. Have you ever been to a, a very, very awesome thunderstorm? I mean, the crackling of the lightning and the thundering going on. I mean, you, when, you, when you get to this point here in verse 6, it's like in music they said it reaches a crescendo. And these voices were saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Now I'm going to get you out of your discouragement. Let me get you out of your depression. Let me get you out of just looking at the world like Eeyore looks at the world. You know, oh, the world is so sad. Things are so bad. I'm always undershadowed. Things are not going. Let me get you out of that. Look what they said in verse 6 here. Just rejoice Jesus is on the throne. Amen. Rejoice that he reigns forever. He's the Lord God omnipotent who reigns. He's all-powerful. He's the Lord God. He's God who reigns. God, Our God reigns. Our God rules. Listen, kingdoms fall. Jesus will not fall. So we see a happy celebration in heaven. And John had to get off of that. And I, and I tried to put my, myself into where John was sitting there. And I found, I found it very difficult to understand exactly what he saw. But, man, I'm telling you, John, at that old, at that old age he was at, at 90-something years of age, I mean, when he saw the happy celebration, I mean, he got his eyes off the, the terrible things that would happen to planet Earth, and he got his eyes on saying, you know what? Earth is temporal, heaven's eternal. Secondly, quickly tonight. Now, we're back at the marriage supper. This is now, this is the precursor to the marriage supper. It's a precursor. The second thing we see is the holy ceremony. The holy ceremony. He said in verse 7, let us be glad and rejoice. Now that's the tenor we're entering to the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
Let us be glad and rejoice. Give honor to him. Then notice the colon there. For the marriage of the Lamb is come. And his wife has made herself ready. Now, some of you understand it, and a lot of you don't. I want you to understand the context of a Jewish wedding ceremony, a marriage ceremony. You want to write this down. Number one, there's the prearrangement. There's a prearrangement. All Jewish marriages were prearranged by the parents. I'm not sure that's a good thing, amen? Maybe it's a good thing, amen? And they conspired with one another. This family would have a boy born. This one would have a girl born. The wives were good, best of friends at that time. They start telling their husband, I think we ought to get the two kids together. And the parents, I mean, literally, as days after the child is born, they've already made an agreement the two kids are going to get married. It's a prearrangement. As the kids are growing up, they have no say in the matter. You say, well, pastor, I'm single, and I guarantee you I'm going to have a say in the matter. Well, maybe. And everything was decided by the parents. And you have to, if you have to imagine this, now, Anthony, I didn't ask how old you are. I'm not going to ask. But these prearrangements, these kids got married between 16 and 20. Pastor AJ, our 16-year-olds, no way I would do their marriage. No way. Amen? <laughs> no way. Are you 16? No, you're 18, right? You're 18, okay. Well, you're probably okay. You're an adult now. Amen? <laughs> But your mother would say no, right? Mom, you'd say no. Amen. Yeah, okay. I would say no, okay? Now, I, have, I want you to understand something. When a boy was 12 years of age, he was a man. He was a man. Hey, you 12-year-olds out there, put away your childish things. Be a man. Write a passage. You know, they're growing up, and the average young person got married around 16, 17. Uh, many historians think that Mary was about 16 when she married Joseph. He was about 17, 18. So there's a prearrangement. The parents raised their kids in accordance with Deuteronomy 6. Now, if you're not familiar with that, you ought to read that. They got them ready for the important matters of life early. Man, at 12, I mean, this blows my mind. They're already thinking about marriage at 16 because their parents have already prearranged this. Now, please, God, stay with me for a minute, okay? I'm not making light of the matter. There's the prearrangement. Now, notice, secondly, there's the pledge. Now, watch this tonight. The pledge, just to line things up, is what we call the betrothal. The betrothal. The betrothal in those days was, was somewhat like, I don't want to say equivalent because that's not the right choice of words, was somewhat like what we call our engagement period. Now in a Western way, our Western world has kind of affected the rest of the world for the most part. The guy proposes to the girl, 
And he says, uh, would you marry me? And he does all these flowery things, and he says all these, he catches her by surprise, or he thinks he catches her by surprise. And she's probably thinking back in her mind, man, what took you so long, man? You should have asked me about six months ago. He met, you know, something like that. And he says, would you marry me? And she says, yes. And he gives her an engagement ring, and the ring is the seal of their engagement. But they're not married, right? Engagement, you're not married. You're engaged. You are preparing for the marriage. At a betrothal, when the time was come, whenever the parents agreed upon is the time that we get married, they would get with the Jewish rabbi. And a covenant, the marriage covenant, was made at that time. The oral expression between the groom and the bride is given at that time. The marriage covenant was established. They all knew that time. The marriage covenant was not to be broken. At that time, the groom and his family, they paid a heavy dowry to the bride. That's a good thing. Oh, you met? Okay? That's a good thing. Amen? And, uh, they, you know, that's part of what they did there. That's how they took care of themselves. That's how they, they did things back in those days. Okay? And uh, just some of you who have got prospective kids, you may want to think about that. Amen? And uh, he said the groom would pay a dowry there. And that was a way of saying that the groom was accepting financial responsibility from the father and taking that man's daughter to be his wife. Now, the covenant was established. In our, in our way of looking at marriage, if they made a covenant, they were technically married, not under betrothal. They were married, but they were not married. Under the pledge... They were to remain apart, and they were not, listen to my term, they were not to cohabitate. They were not to cohabitate. They would not join together until the actual marriage ceremony, which I'm going to get to. Under the betrothal, they pledged they belonged to each other, but they would not live together. Let me, let me say something tonight. Now I'm going to teach you some Bible. You better write this down tonight because you probably have never studied this, Okay. Number one, Matthew 19, verses 4 to 5, you need to study it out. Jesus carefully, and he knew because he knows all things, he knew how marriage would be changing. He knew that there would be, as Paul said in 2 Thessalonians, there would be a falling away. He said God made them male and female, male and female, he made them both. How many understand what I'm saying tonight? Say amen. amen. He said in marriage... They would leave their father and mother. Now, when they made the covenant, they knew that. They're going to build their own home. In marriage, they would become one flesh. In marriage, they knew that no man was to put asunder. Marriage was permanent. Okay? We know that. But under betrothal, they knew there was no cohabitation. Now, some smart aleck will ask the question, well, where's that in the Bible, Pastor? It's in the Bible. Did you know that? There's a word that describes cohabitation. It's called chambering. It's called chambering. Go to Romans 13. Romans 13, 13. The old days, we used to call the bedroom the bedchamber. The word chamber, I'm going to read it to you in a minute. The word chamber means a room where there's a bed and two people of the opposite sex are married and living together. They're sleeping together. That's what it means. 
That's what the word chamber is. Listen to what he said here. Now, Paul's talking about the end days, and he's talking about people that are cohabitating outside of marriage. Let us walk honestly as in the day. Notice this, not in writing. Mark that down. I said not in writing. And drunkenness. Not in what? Not in what? Speak out loud at home. Chambering. No cohabitation. Right there. Well, pastor, that's just one verse. No. Mary, hey, listen to this. Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage is honorable in all. And the bed, you know what the word bed is? Chambering. Same word. No cohabitation. You know what he calls you if you're doing that? Whoremongers and fornicators. That's what he says. Whoremongers and adulterers. That's what he says. Well, pastor, that, you shouldn't use that. Why, why shouldn't I use this? Bible words. Bible language. That's what God calls it. So I'm just saying tonight, there's the pledge. They made a covenant, but she remains. Now, how do you understand that? Well, let me give you another example. Remember Matthew chapter 1? Remember that? Joseph found out Mary was with child. What was going through his mind? In his mind, he thought she had chambered with somebody. So he thought, I'll put her away privily. I'll get a bill of divorce. Because once you made that covenant, if, if there was something wrong on the other end, that bill of divorce could be made, as Deuteronomy 24.1 said. That's when the angel of God came right at the right moment and said, don't, don't put her away. Don't put her away. He says she's with child by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, we see the prearrangement. We see the pledge. And I'm going somewhere. Notice, thirdly, the preparation. We're, going, we're looking at verse 7 now. So what happens during the betrothal? What happens during the, why are they a year apart? Isn't it like, it's like an engagement. No, it's more important than engagement. You know what they're doing there? He was getting his house ready to bring her home. He's making preparation. Now, we have a Bible verse, Bible verse to talk about that. John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3. This is what Jesus said here. I go to prepare a place for you. He's talking to his bride. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive it to myself. Those are the words of a bridegroom speaking to his bride that I'm going to come again, receive it to myself. Now, here's what's happening. Two things. Number one, he's preparing a home for his bride. Now, every man should prepare a home for her. Ladies, you single ladies, let me help you out with a the the few things, okay? Number one, don't marry a guy that doesn't have a job. I don't like that. I'm trying to help you. You, all, you mothers better say amen right now, amen? Number two, he shows some responsibility that he's going to take care of your daughter. He's making a home. It's okay if his parents help him, but he didn't show responsibility that he's going to take care of your daughter. Now, he's getting ready. What about her? She's getting ready too. Look at verse 8. And to her was granted that she would, should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the rights of the saints. Now I'm going to say more about that. Go to the previous verse. I wanted you to read that first because it says what? Notice what it says. For his wife has made herself ready. She's getting ready. He's getting ready. Now who's the bride here? The church of Jesus Christ. The Lord's church. Now, Paul gives us some insight about that. Look at 2 Corinthians 11, 2. For I'm jealous over you with godly jealousy. Now, some of you, let me say this tonight. I'm just going to preach out this evening because I'm a little hot right now. 
You say, preacher, you're a little bit, uh, you micromanage. Or preacher, you are a little bit insecure. No, I'm not. Read what Paul says here in verse 2. He said, I'm jealous over you with godly jealousy. A pastor should be jealous for God's church. He said, for I've espoused you to one husband. That's Jesus. That I may present you, notice this, that I may present you, it's getting her ready, as a chaste virgin to Christ. You know what, our, what we're supposed to be doing in church? The moment they're born and go into the nursery, until they get to the nursing home and they leave the nursing home to go to heaven with God, you know what we're supposed to be doing? We're preparing a chaste virgin for Jesus Christ. We're getting the church ready for Jesus. You don't like hot preaching. You don't like heavy preaching. You don't like preaching about the church. You don't like preaching about missions. You don't like preaching about living for God. You know why? Because you haven't figured out you're supposed to be a chaste virgin getting ready for Jesus Christ. You're getting ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's what we're all about. Ephesians 5, 27. That he might present it to himself. What kind of a church? A good-looking church? No, a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That it should be holy without blemish. There's the preparation. Now, how is that all done? I'll tell you how it's done. Number one. Right now, as a church, and let me just say this tonight, you got one foot out because you're feeling sorry for yourself and you're about, ready, you're about to jump church and pop a surprise on me or somebody else here that you're not sticking around, get right with God tonight. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Take responsibility. Grow up and look for the king and his beauty and the land that is far off. And realize God's better to you than you deserve. Stop feeling for yourself and get right with God and get in love with Jesus again. And realize we've been spending time through the book of Revelation to get ourselves ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Let me say this tonight. In a church, and I don't, I'm not worried about what everybody else's church is doing. I'm worried about what Heritage Baptist Church is doing. We are to spend our time getting ourselves ready for the coming of the Lord. Now some of you skipped church. You didn't even watch live stream today. And some you're physically able to get to church, but there's something about being in a drive-in service that you feel like, I don't have a conviction about that. You need to have a conviction about being with God's people and not forsaking and assembling yourselves together as the matter of some is. No, the church is the church regardless if it's a pandemic or not. And some of you scared, I had some 70-year-old ladies that came to church weathering all that. Some people have got, who are at risk, they came to church to drive in service. They came, you know why? They weren't worried about themselves. They just wanted to come to love on Jesus. Yeah. You're worried about something that happened 20 years ago, 20 days ago, 20 weeks ago. Get it under the blood of Jesus Christ and say, God, help me to be the kind of person I ought to be. We need to get ready while we're here on earth. And I beg you in Jesus' name, get ready for Jesus coming. But there's a second thing. Remember we studied 1 Corinthians 3? After the rapture, when Jesus comes for us, you know what precedes the marriage supper of the Lamb? A time of reckoning. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. That's getting the bride ready. She's going into her parlor room 
and getting yourself ready so that he may present it to himself a glorious church without spot or wrinkle and any such thing. The church is not ready when it gets raptured. It's ready to meet the bridegroom, but it's not ready for the marriage ceremony until it goes to the judgment seat of Christ. That's Bible. That's preparation. And I think some of us live our lives so haphazardly. And so like everything's okay. And we just don't even, we're not even, what doesn't even bother us? You have no fear of God in your heart. Listen, the Bible says we saw this morning, the fear of the Lord is your treasure. The fear of the Lord, there, with the fear of the Lord, there's great riches and honor in life. So we see the prearrangement, the pledge, the preparation, but notice the processional. Now notice verses 7 and 8 of Revelation 19. We're going to the preparation, and as we get between verse 7 and 9, there's a processional. Now to get a sense of that, you have to read Matthew 25, when we talked about the parable of the ten virgins. How many remember that story, man? The time's come. The bridegroom, listen, the bridegroom has on his calendar the day his home is ready. He's not going to pop a surprise her. She already knows because she's getting ready. And he's come for her. He leads an entourage from his home. He goes to her home to bring her with him. And together... It's a processional to the home he's preparing for her. She's gotten herself ready. Now, this processional is the rapture. He said, I will go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That's the processional. It's preceded by the trump of God and the voice of an archangel. It's the two words, come up hither. He's calling us home. It's the processional, it's that rapture there. And for a good example, then I have time to get into it, the good example that you ought to read is Genesis 24. I always like to use Genesis 24 as a pre-engagement uh, illustration and story to help get a, a prospective couple who wants to get married. I always like to use Genesis 24 to help understand the story there about Rebecca and about Isaac. Isaac is a, is a picture of Jesus Christ as is, is the son. He's a picture of Jesus Christ. Rebecca is a picture of the bride of the church. The servant of Abraham is a picture of the Holy Spirit of God. And she was ready. She said, I will go with this man. She never seen him. Pretty dangerous, amen? But she knew who he was when she saw him. She saw the king in his beauty. It's a holy ceremony. I love marriages. I love the ceremonies. I love the flowers. I love seeing the, the groom in his tuck succeed on the, and the, and the, and the, and the groomsmen in their tuxedo. I love seeing the, 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 the bride in her wedding dress. And there's just something so beautiful about a, about a wedding and something beautiful about a bride and the bridesmaids. And they're so wonderfully made and prepared and, and the music and everything there. And we, you know, we just, COVID-19, we, we can't do indoor ceremonies right now. And we wanted to help Brother Anthony and NECA. So we had, a, we had to do it following the Alameda County Public Health Department rules. We, we, did a, uh, we did an outdoor ceremony. It was a race 
prayed so beautifully, and God just was working so wonderfully, and we just felt the presence of God among our midst there. And, and I'm thankful at the end that Brother Anthony asked, he said, hey, Pastor, is it okay if I can share a testimony? I wanna, I, we're going to be live streaming this on Facebook, and I want to be able to tell all my family about the Lord. I want to give a witness. And I said, sure. And I gave a little bit of witness in my message there, but I'm so thankful God put on his heart. He was filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and I know he prayed up for this, and he's been praying for almost a year for this opportunity. And he got on there before Facebook and shared with his family about the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? That was a marriage made in heaven. That was a marriage that Jesus Christ honored and blessed because he gave honor to Christ. He gave elevation to not himself. He didn't give elevation even to the bride. He gave elevation to, to the Lord Jesus Christ there. And I'm thankful for that. And I want to remind you today as we look at the marriage ceremony, our next big event on our prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church. But listen, after the rapture, there's a judgment seat of Christ. And after the judgment seat of Christ, well, all the junk is going on on earth and God has to judge the earth. Let me tell you, up in heaven, there's that marriage ceremony. There's that holy ceremony leading to what we're going to call next, the heavenly supper. We're almost done. Look at this last part now. The heavenly supper. The ceremony has happened. Now I want you to notice here, verses 7 to 10, this is the, the marriage supper is an entire celebration. Now I took some time to tell you about the happy celebration, the hallelujahs, and the people there in heaven. And I took some time and I tell you about the holy ceremony, about the prearrangement, and the preparations and all that, and the processional. But we need to finish up tonight by looking at the heavenly supper. To get an idea of that, you read over in John chapter 2 at the marriage, the marriage supper, the marriage feast at Cain of Galilee. Now, a couple things here. A marriage, a marriage ceremony was not complete until they had the supper. There was a betrothal. There was a ceremony. But as he led the procession at his home, he also made preparation for supper. Now, depending upon his financial capability, the supper could last an entire week or longer, sometimes two weeks. And they had to have an abundant supply. Now, I just want to tell you tonight, aren't you glad in heaven it's going to be a continuous marriage supper? Amen? It's going to be a continuous ceremony and a happy time there in heaven. And as we notice this, would you notice verses 7 to 9? There are three groups of people we have to be concerned about in this marriage supper. Number one, there's the groom. Number one, there's the groom. Now, in our day, right now, the focus is always on the bride. The groom is kind of forgotten in the picture, amen? It's really about the bride. It's, it's nothing about the groom. I mean, you look at the groom, you say, yeah, it's all like, they all wear tuxedos, and they all rent their shoes from men's warehouse, and, you know, they all wear a bow tie and ruffled shirt and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. And, uh, yeah, he combed his hair first time he's ever combed his hair in his life, you know, things like that. And that looks okay there, and he's wearing socks for the first time. I mean, you know, but nobody really pays attention to the, the groom. What they, but they, they pay attention to the bride. But in a Jewish ceremony, the attention was on the groom. Now, the marriage supper is not about us. It's about Jesus. Amen? It's about the groom. And the groom was the center of attention. The groom was dressed as much as like a king as possible. If he could afford it, he'd wear a crown on his head and not a Stephanus crown. He'd wear something made of gold. It was symbolic for his marriage. His garments would be scented with frankincense and myrrh. That was the 
predecessor to Christian Dior perfumes and things like that. Amen? In those days, men wore girdles. Now, your idea of a girdle is different from those days. Amen? It was a silken one, brilliantly colored. Psalms 45 gives us a small picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, my heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore God has blessed thee forever. Gird thy sword upon thy thigh, O most mighty, and with thy glory and thy majesty, and in thy majesty write prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteousness, and thy right hand shall teach thee terrible things. And I could go on with that. Focus is on the groom. This is the king and his beauty. Now, I don't have to go into much discussion, but I think you know this. The groom is ready. Amen? He's been ready for a long time. There's the groom. Secondly, there's the glory. Now, the woman, the Bible tells in 1 Corinthians 11, the woman is the glory of the man. Now, I was going to line it up just to be alliterated. I was going to say his gal, but I don't think that was probably appropriate there. Amen, you know? So I'm going to say his glory. The church is his bride. Paul said, I'm presenting you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Look at verse 8 again. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen. You know the church is going to get, be clothed in righteousness in heaven. Man, that's wonderful. Amen. Clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. I wish I had time to get into that. Let me just say this tonight. When I think of the righteousness that the linen, I think of two things. I think about our positional righteousness, our standing in Jesus Christ. You know, we have righteousness through faith because there's no righteousness in, it, in any of us, right? There's none righteous, no, not one. The righteousness we have is by faith in Christ. There's positional righteousness, but there's also practical righteousness. We are to live righteously for him, the spirit-filled life and service for Christ. So we see his glory. The bride. Now, some hold to a Baptist bride position. There's a part of me that wants to do that, amen? But I don't think you can say that scripturally. And to counter any thoughts, my good Baptist brethren who hold that position is Hebrews 12.23. Because Hebrews 12.23, here's how he describes the church in heaven. Now, you can call the church generically the church in heaven, in heaven that way, and it's not a universal church. It's a glorious church. It's not a universal church. It's a panegyra. It's a general assembly. Look at Hebrews 12, 23. He says, the general assembly, and it's connected here, the general assembly and church are the firstborn which are written in heaven. Now, that's the church that's here getting married, that's, that's culminating the marriage supper of the Lamb. I wish I could hold the Baptist bride position, but it's not, I, I just can't biblically. I don't agree. I'm not, you know, you might think I'm a little biased here, and I am, but I'm a Baptist all the way through. Okay? I'm just Baptist. And my, my goal in life is to win souls, and if you're a Protestant, to get you over to become a Baptist. Amen? 
That's my, that's my goal in life. Amen? It's like, like one of my preacher friends told, told one of his staff members. Staff member came from someone. He says, Pastor, uh, they go to a Protestant church. He said, Sir, I pay you to get people into church. He says, your goal is to get them from being Protestant and becoming Baptist. He's, and th- ever since he told that, there, this, this idea of job security really got a hold of that staff member. And he's one of the best producing staff members they have on that church there. Amen? <laughs> There's a groom. You with me tonight? Amen? There's a groom. There's the glory. But who's the third group? The guests. Who are the guests? Everybody we just read about in the preceding verses. Number one, right at the front is the best man. You know who the best man is? John the Baptist. Amen? John the Baptist. Look what it says. John 3.29. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth them, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy therefore is fulfilled. Now I put myself in John's shoes for just a minute, and I thought, man, he, he, he had some insight as a prophet of God. He had some insight where he was going to be standing one day, where he will be standing one day there in heaven there. There's, there's, there's John the Baptist. As we read here in chapter 19, verse 1 to 10, there's the redeemed through all the ages. We're going to be there, Amen. We're there. We're the bride. But I'm saying the Old Testament saints, the priests and the patriarchs and the prophets, this and those who got martyred through the tribulation, they're going to be there. We're the bride. Listen, it's the church being united to Jesus, the culmination of all that. They're the marriage ceremony and surrounding all that. I mean, get, get with it. It's the Old Testament believers, the redeemed through all the ages, the Old Testament believers and those who got saved through the tribulation period. It's going to be wonderful there. But there's one more thing. Look at verses 9 to 10. We see the groom, we see the glory, we see the guests, but I want you to notice the goal. Verse 9 says, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's the guests. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Now, John is mesmerized, he is enthralled with this glorious scene in heaven. A happy celebration, a holy ceremony, a heavenly supper. And his response in verse 10 is amazing. He said, I fell at his feet to worship him. Now, when he did that, the angel of God immediately corrected him and said, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant. And of thy brethren that have, and underline this phrase, the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Worship God. Now, first thing I want to tell you tonight, as we look at the marriage chapter of the Lamb, worship God. Worship God. I mean, you say, well, how do I worship God? We just studied that, verses 1 to 6. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Then he said, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And that's so important as I close. What is the goal in all this? You know, in life, we get distracted. We really get distracted, some more than others. This pandemic's a distraction. All these people testing positive can be a distraction. You know, we get distracted by a lot of things. You know what John is saying here? The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. 
as we've studied all these things, the beast, the seven churches, heaven, what we do in heaven, the symbols, the seals, the bold judgments, the trumpet judgments, the calamities, people are debating and surfing the websites to find out who the beast is. And you guys are getting all these newsletters about, I wonder where America's at in prophecy. Just look at America's at right now. America is not in a good place for prophecy right now as I see it. Who's economic Babylon and what about the currency? And, you know, is, is crypto's currency going to lead us there? And is, uh, you know, the embedding of a chip inside of a dog's paw and dog's forehead, is that leading to the Antichrist? I mean, we get, we, get all, we get all distracted by who the 144,000 is and all these different things. You know what he said here in verse, verse 10? The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Let me end with this. You know what the goal is? It's all about Jesus. It's as simple as that. It's all about Jesus. The revelation of Jesus Christ, not the revelation of prophecy, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why? God wanted us to be privileged to know how it's all going to finish, how it's all going to end, how God is victorious. God always wins. God never loses. It's all about Jesus. Not about you, not about me. Salvation's all about Jesus. So when he's all about Jesus, worship is all about Jesus. Singing is all about Jesus. Doing things for God is all about Jesus. Cleaning the church is all about Jesus. Well, listen, getting the, eight, the audiovisual together is all about Jesus. Graphics is all about Jesus. Starting new ministries is about Jesus. Building offerings are all about Jesus. Faith Promise Missions is all about Jesus. A missions conference in 30 days from now is all about Jesus. Listen, living for God is all about Jesus tonight. Church is all about Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about your offering. You're not called to be a philanthropist. You're called to give. It's more blessed to give than to receive. You're not called to be a pastor or deacon, all that kind of stuff. You're called to be a good Christian, a holy Christian. It's all about Jesus. My question to you, for you tonight, is your life all about Jesus? Is it all about Jesus? Your prayer time about Jesus? Do you have a Billy Bray spirit? One foot goes down, hallelujah. The other foot goes down, it's amen. Do you have the hallelujah of redemption? Do you have the hallelujah of righteousness? Do you have the hallelujah of reverence? Do you have the hallelujah that the Lord reigns? It's all about Jesus. The testimony prophecy is the testimony of Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus.